Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. Well, I've been looking forward to the time because we're talking about one of my favorite subjects today um, in our messages, and um, that is the, the subject of grace, and that's been a keynote of mine since I've understood the issues. Um, gets me out of bed in the morning to help people understand what grace means in relationship to salvation, in relationship to the Christian life. And uh, sometimes we understand what it means in the Christian life, but we're not consistent in, I mean, in salvation, but not consistent in following it through the Christian life. What I find out about uh, ministering and preaching and teaching grace is that it puts a smile on people's face. So I know you're not, it's a little early in the morning for you to be smiling today. But by the time you leave today, we want you with a big smile on your face because grace just helps us to worship, appreciate what God has done, and uh, appreciate the freedom and the blessings that he's given to us. And maybe you'll see some of that in our in our messages today. And um, what, the way I understand it, uh, I'll speak for a while. And uh, before lunch, we have a question and answer time. So you may want to scribble down some questions that you have along the way. And... Um, and we'll we'll see if we can handle them before lunch, okay? Well, today we're going to look at if, uh, our first message. We're going to talk about grace and salvation. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, and I've got the most of the scripture on the screen, but you might want to open your Bibles also to Ephesians chapter 2. Um, those who know me for any amount of time will find out I really love the outdoors, and this time of year it's difficult to be indoors because it's hunting season, so I like to get out and I like to hunt. Uh, my son and I bow hunt a lot, um, and uh, one of my proudest accomplishments is uh, I shot a bear with a bow and arrow, and um, that, that happened a few years ago. And uh, I was in New Mexico up near Rio Dosa and uh, hunting in the mountains, and I noticed a lot of bear sign in that area. They scrape the trees and, and their droppings and so forth. So um, I just got, I was actually deer hunting, but I had a bear tag. So I got up in a, I wouldn't have any luck with the deer. So I got up in a tree to wait for, see if a bear would walk by. And, and it was in the afternoon. I remember I kind of dozed off when I, just shortly after I kind of opened my eyes, this bear, big boar, bear is walking by about 20 yards away. I'm about 15 feet up in the tree. So I stood up on the limb and I drew back and I shot and I hit him pretty squarely. I thought it, I thought it would do him in, but instead he stood up and he roared. And about the same time I went for another arrow, I fell out of the tree. I hit the ground. The bear runs right over to me. He stands up on his hind legs. His jaws are popping. His teeth are bared. And I said, what are you doing in a situation like that? I prayed. I said, Lord, please make this a Christian bear. And the- and the bear folds his hands and he says, God is great. God is good. And we thank him for this food. <laughs> now, what part of that story do you not believe? <laughs> Half of it's true. Grace can mean a lot of different things to different people. And uh, it can be a blue-eyed blonde. It can be something we say before dinner. It can be uh, poise under pressure. A lot of definitions for the word grace. But we're going to talk about what grace means in relationship to salvation and the Christian life. And let me begin with a, with a proposition, a test. I want to make a statement. Mankind is 
has an aversion to grace. We have an aversion, a natural aversion to grace. And I could prove that by doing an experiment. Let's say that um, we'll divide up. You will go out into the streets and into the world, and so will I. And you will tell people that the gospel is absolutely free, that grace is God's gift to us, that you can be saved by doing nothing and have eternal life by doing nothing, just accepting what God has already done for you, the wonderful good news. I'll go out and I'll tell people, well, you need to keep some rules and you need to pray and you need to uh, do some certain rituals, and um, here's a list of do's and don'ts. And let's see who gets the most converts, okay? All right? So we go out and do our experiment. But we really don't need to because it's already been done. It's been done through history. And guess who's winning? That's right. I am. The system that is based on works and performance and good deeds and prayers and rituals and traditions, keeping traditions, is winning the day. Why? Because humankind has a natural aversion to grace. There's something in us that wants us to make us feel like we earned it, we deserved it, that God couldn't do it without us. I remember hearing one lady speaking. Uh, she was, said she was speaking to a group at Christmas time, <clears throat> and just to illustrate this concept of grace, she had a poinsettia plant, a poinsettia plant, and uh, she offered it to the group. She said, "Now this is a free gift to whoever would come and take it." And the ladies just just stood there, and no one really believed her. She said, "It's just free if you'll take it." Finally, one lady comes up and walks down to the front of the church and takes the plant and goes and sits down. And then she used that as an illustration that grace is an absolutely free gift. No strings attached, nothing expected in return uh, that makes it part of the deal. And she said after she gave that message, and she was, people were coming up and making comments to her, this lady came up and shook her hand, and in her palm was a $10 bill. She says, oh, I just can't take that poinsettia for nothing. <laughs> We just can't accept grace too easily. But Christianity is built on grace, as you know. And the Bible says, for by grace you are saved. That's our passage today. So you have to understand something about grace in order to be saved, in order to live the Christian life, salvation and sanctification. And the important thing about understanding grace and salvation is that if we don't fully understand it or appreciate it in salvation, we can get off to a false start in the Christian life. We can get off at the wrong angle and end up somewhere else in how we live our Christian lives. You know, they say that if the space shuttle is launched with just one millimeter of difference here on Earth, that that can mean hundreds of miles in outer space because of the trajectory is all out of whack. Same thing with the Christian life. We can understand enough about grace to be saved, but if we don't really appreciate the fullness of it and what it really means and our salvation, then we can misapply it to the Christian life and we can end up way over here somewhere where we don't want to be. So let's look at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 and talk about grace and salvation. And the passage reads like this, For by grace, you know it by heart, right? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. First of all, it would be good to define what grace means. When we look at the word grace, we have a word that comes from the word gift in the original language. So the idea of a gift is something that's free. The moment we pay money for it, it's not no longer a gift, it's a purchase, right? 
So grace means something that's free. But when we talk about it in relationship to salvation, what we mean by free is this. It's God's unmerited favor given to undeserving sinners. It comes from God. It's unmerited or undeserved. It's his blessing or favor that meets our need. It's freely given to those of us, all of us, who do not deserve it. Okay? Now let's look at the passage together a little bit more carefully, um, phrase by phrase, and see if we can understand some things about the nature of saving grace. First of all, it's from God. Uh, the passage says it's not of ourselves. It's a gift from God. In 1 Peter 5.10, God is called the God of all grace. He's a God who um, uh, is, is titled the God of all grace, meaning that that is one of his central attributes, one of his central perfections. Uh, grace, I think, is an outflow, an expression of his love. And we know that God is love, but he's a God of all grace. So if it's from God, we bring nothing to the equation. We have nothing to bring. The book of Ephesians says that we were all dead in trespasses and sins. And that's why he had to make us alive. That's why he had to give us a gift, because we were dead. Dead man can't offer anything to God. They are totally separated from him. So it's from God. It's also freely given. And that's what the word through faith means. Faith means that there's nothing we can do to earn it. We just come to God, I like to say, with an empty hand. Nothing exchanged, no $10 bills, no good works, no promises, no commitments, just accepting what God has done. Romans 4, verses 4 through 5 emphasizes this. In his argument about the freeness of the gospel of grace, the Apostle Paul said, Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. It's not work, because when you work, then it becomes a debt that God owes us. God doesn't owe us anything, does he? God doesn't pay debts when it comes to salvation. He gives gifts. So there's no conditions, no bargain, uh, no merit that we can bring on our own. Faith just means that we accept what God has given to us. So it is freely given. Faith means being persuaded that something is true. Faith means that we believe God's promise that he will give us eternal life through Jesus Christ as he promised, as he said he would. And so I take that promise as true for myself. The Bible talks in other places about, in John chapter 6, for example, Jesus talked about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. He was talking about believing in him for eternal life. He makes that clear in that chapter. So faith is that personal appropriation where we internalize something. I remember in Africa, I was preaching about the meaning of faith before an audience, and I was being translated. And the pastor, when I began to explain what faith was, the pastor stopped and he turned around and he looked at me. He says, oh, we have a good word for faith here, uh, expression for faith here in our language. It means to take God's words and eat them. You see, that's pretty biblical, isn't it? It just means to accept something. That's not work. So it is freely given, not on the basis of anything that we do, but simply because God has promised it. Perhaps you've heard me say my favorite description of faith is when we, go to, we feel sick, we go to a doctor we hardly know. He writes us a prescription that we can't read. 
we take it to a pharmacist we've never met, he gives us a drug we can't pronounce, and we take it and we get better. Why? We believe his promise that he gave us, that this would make us better. So faith is being persuaded that something is true. Also, it's undeserved. Remember we said it is God's unmerited favor to undeserving sinners. And that's what that phrase emphasizes, not by works. Not by any effort, or not on any performance basis. Romans 11.6 makes it very clear that grace and works cannot be mixed. That God's work cannot be mixed with our performance. Romans 11.6 is such a clear um, explanation of what grace is. It says, and if by grace it's no longer of works, otherwise grace is no longer grace. But if it's of works, it's no longer grace, otherwise work is no longer work. In that chapter in Romans, Paul is contrasting God's plan and promise with Israel trying to earn God's righteousness by keeping the law. And he's saying you can't mix the two. If it's either got to be grace or it's got to be works. If, it's, if you mix works in, then it's no longer grace. And uh, it, it's like mixing oil and water. You can't do it. They're mutually exclusive. Or you can't mix round and square. You have to have one or the other. You cannot mix them. That's what Romans 11.6 is saying. So it's not by trying to live a good life or by conducting myself well or keeping New Year's resolutions. It's not by keeping the commandments. It's not by uh, a regimen of prayer and Bible study. It's not by making God promises that I, I'm going to keep or committing myself to him or surrendering to him or promising to obey him. It's totally undeserved. If God would say, well, Charlie, I'll save you if you promise to go to church. Well, then that's not a free gift because I'm deserving it. I'm meriting it by something I'm promising to do, which is the same thing as doing it. It's human merit. So grace has to be totally undeserved. And then it says, it's by grace you've been saved. It meets our greatest need. Thank you. It meets our greatest need. We know that the scripture says that we are sinners, and you he has made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. We were dead. Now, I understand the word dead as separated from God. We were as bad off as we could be. We, God could not have fellowship with us. He could not have relationship with us. Uh, we were totally separated from him spiritually. What, we don't need condemnation that death brings. And the law brings condemnation because we can't keep the law. And the law says uh, you have to be punished. For not keeping the law. Uh, what we need is God's help. The law was not given that we would be saved through it. The law was given to show that we are sinners. To bring to light our sin. So the law was never meant to fix us. It was just meant to show us how we're broken. But we don't need the condemnation of the law. We need God to help us. We need God to step down and help us because we cannot step up to him. I like the way um, one preacher says that Donald Gray Barnhouse used to say that love that reaches upward is worship, love that reaches outward is charity, and love that stoops is grace. 
That's a wonderful saying because in the Old Testament, one of the words for grace means to stoop. One of the Hebrew words used for grace means to stoop down. That God would stoop down and help us like we would bend down and help a little baby who can't help himself, who can't walk. And so God stoops to help us. He meets our greatest need. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love towards us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He goes on to explain Christ didn't die for us when we were, when we were uh, righteous or because we were good. He died for us when we were bad, when we were sinners. That's when we had our greatest need. And that's when God stepped down to help us. So the nature of saving grace is that it's absolutely free, absolutely undeserved. It's received through faith, and it meets our greatest need. But what is the cost of saving grace? We need to talk about this a little bit because there are some who talk about costly grace. It's an expression you'll run across in a lot of different Christian settings and so forth. And they, they're talking about costly grace. And what they're saying is that the grace of God should be appreciated in that it demands a commitment from us. We can't just accept the grace of God for free, expect it to be absolutely free. There's a, a commitment that's required in exchange for that. But that to me is a little bit confusing to talk about costly grace. Um, one author says we must come to the realization that salvation is absolutely free in one sense, but in another sense, uh, forgiveness costs everything. And that to me is very confusing to say it's absolutely free, and yet it costs something. And you know that when we have a term that contradicts itself, we call it an oxymoron, right? I think I've used oxymorons here before, but um, something like act naturally, that's an oxymoron. Or now then, get it? Now then. Or government worker. We won't. We won't pick on government workers today. But that's about as much sense as uh, costly grace. It just contradicts itself. So what is it talking about then? Well, if we were to look at Romans chapter 3 and verse 4, which I know I've discussed with you before, but we'll just look at it briefly, we'll see that Romans 3.24 says we are justified freely by his grace. So there's no cost there. In fact, there's a redundancy in the language, not just by his grace, but freely by his grace. As an emphasis that it was absolutely free. There is absolutely no cost to us. But it was costly to God. Any gift that is given as a free gift is going to cost somebody something. When you give a Christmas gift, to your husband or wife or child or parent. It may be free to them, but it costs you something. You know that because you'll be paying the credit card off through the year. So what did it cost God then for our salvation? Romans 3.24 says it's freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That word redemption implies that a price has been paid, and that price was paid by God. And we know the price that he paid was his only son. That God, God the Father and God the Son who were eternally together 
had to be separated in fellowship so that his son could give his life. And on the cross, Jesus said, remember, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God had to turn his back as Jesus Christ died for us and our sins. And then he said, it's finished. What's finished? To tell us die means it's paid in full. It was something that they would put on bills in those days to say it was paid in full or on, on a, when they, when they went into a jail cell and were confined, they would put the list of their charges on the, the jail door. And then when it was finished, the sentence was finished, they'd write across it to tell us die. It's finished. It's paid for. With what? With the life of God's own son. That's the price that God paid. So grace is absolutely free to us, but it costs God something. It costs his own son for him to give us that grace. Second Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. God gave his only son. Jesus Christ gave up his glory in heaven and gave his own life for us. So redemption, salvation is free. Redemption is costly to God, but grace is free to us. And I don't think there's one Bible verse, I know there's not one Bible verse that combines grace with the idea of cost. Well, the cost of saving grace, there is none. We call it free grace because it's absolutely free. What's the effect of saving grace? What effect should it have on us? Well, when we look at Ephesians, we go on to the next verse, verse 10. Now that he's told us how we have been saved, he says, what should be the effect of that salvation? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship. That word comes from a, a Greek word that, from which we get the word poem. We are God's creations, his poetry. He's fashioned us in a certain way. He's fashioned us in Jesus Christ to do good works. And God had prepared this beforehand that we should walk in them. He, his desire, his purpose for us forever has been to walk in good works. And he saved us for a purpose, not just to give us a ticket to heaven, but to give us a purpose in this life. And this purpose in life is to live out our lives in gratitude to him by doing good works. Not in order to earn salvation, because he says this is why we're saved. For we are his workmanship created for good works. It created in Christ Jesus for good works. In reference to when God saved us, put us in Christ Jesus, that purpose is to do good works. So what grace does is it puts works in its place. Uh, not before salvation, but after salvation. Not as a condition for salvation, but a consequence for salvation. Not as a requirement for salvation, but a result of salvation. Does that make sense? That good works are not, don't have anything to do with our salvation or justification. But good works have everything to do with how we're to live our Christian life, be responsible before God, and how God will judge us according to how we use our new life. So be careful not to get the cart 
before the horse when we talk about salvation. And often the wrong impression is left in many places uh, that I've been, especially overseas, and I know in many churches in America today, the wrong impression is left that we become Christians by doing certain things, by living a good life, by going to church, by reading the Bible, by praying, by talking to people about Christ. And the implication is that if you do this list of things and you're a good Christian, well, let's not get the cart before the horse. Let's understand and preach that salvation is a free gift of God. And then here's what we're to do about it. The interesting thing is, as you look at the New Testament, you see this pattern in the epistles, especially that Paul writes, like the book of Ephesians. In chapters 1 through 3, he doesn't tell us anything that we should do. In chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians, he tells us who we are by God's grace, that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. And he goes on to enumerate those blessings. And then when he comes to chapter 4, he says, now walk worthy of the calling with which you're called. Chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. So chapters 1 and 3, this is your calling. This is what God has done for you. Now chapters 4 through 6, this is what you can do for God. He didn't write the book the other way around. Who we are in Christ and how he saved us and then how we can live for him. The same pattern you'll see clearly in the book of Galatians, chapters 1 through 4. This is who we are. Chapters 5 and 6, this is what we should do. Colossians, chapters 1 and 2, this is who you are in Christ. Chapters 3 and 4, this is what you can do. Romans, chapters 1 through 11, this is what God has done for you and who you are. Chapters 12 through 16, now this is what you can do for him. Well, that makes sense. We don't get the cart before the horse, but if we follow even the biblical pattern, we talk about grace and who we are and how, what God has done for us, and then that motivates us to live a life of good works in response, not as an obligation, not as a condition, not as a requirement, but as a consequence and as a result. Well, the effect of saving grace then is that it puts works in their place. It also gives us security with God. In fact, in the book of Ephesians, he says it uh, for us. He says, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Okay, so having believed this, in whom also you have believed, also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance till the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Now, what he's saying is that after you heard the gospel and believed in it, you were sealed. It's a strong word that meant that uh, taking the imagery of the day where a seal would be placed on something that could not be opened until it reached its destination. Like an official document was sealed with wax and then imprinted with the signet ring of the official, could not be opened until it reached its destination. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee, the down payment, the deposit, the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, until we are fully redeemed in God's presence. So we are secure in our relationship to God because God has sealed us and set us aside and guaranteed our future with him. And that's one of the blessings of grace. That's one of the effects of saving grace. We could talk about many. Another one is that grace motivates us to serve God. I already made a reference to Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. You see, Paul doesn't say that until chapter 12. And the motivation to do that is chapters 1 through 11. 
where he talks about our justification, our sanctification, our security, God's sovereignty, and, and using us in his plan for the ages. And then he says, now, I urge you, in view of God's mercies, therefore, in view of all that I've told you, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And if we understand Romans chapters 1 through 11, we would say, sure, God, I sure will. What more can I do to show my gratitude for all that you've done? You see, grace is a genuine, inner, internal motivation to serve God. Not out of compulsion or pressure from other people or in order to stay out of hell, but it's because God has kept us out of hell and given us his life and promised us a future with him. Then we say, sure, God, I'll serve you. What more can I do for you? So one of the effects of grace is it motivates us to serve God, and then it also teaches us to live a godly life. You see, again, we don't get the cart before the horse. We don't live a godly life so that we can be saved. But grace comes and teaches us to live a godly life. Look at the progression in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. All right, let's look at the progression. The grace of God appears. It, that brings salvation appears. So when we know God in salvation by his grace, what does that grace do? It's teaching. It's teaching us. And the word there is the word that's used for training children. So it implies that there's a process. Anybody that knows, has had children, as I'm sure most of you have, knows that it is a long process and a frustrating process in which you can expect your children to make mistakes and fall down and get up and try again. It's a struggle. But when we are born into God's family, there becomes then a process that is initiated. That is a process of growth. Just as you're born physically a baby, we're born into his family spiritually as a baby, and we have to learn. We have to be taught how to grow in godliness and uh, deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and to live soberly and righteously and godly. You see, well, we don't want to get it mixed up and tell people, well, you know, you have to live a godly life and you have to be righteous and, and you have to do this in order to earn salvation or in order to prove that you're saved. Uh, that's not the purpose. That's not the intent of this passage. This passage is telling us that God trains us by his grace. Well, <clears throat> those are some of the effects of saving grace. It puts works in their place which means that uh, grace comes before good works. Good works are a result of the grace of God. Um, it, it gives us security with God, it motivates us to serve God, and it teaches us to live godly. There is a problem with saving grace, though. You know what the problem is with grace? It may not be appreciated. That's the risk. That's the gamble, if you will, that God took when he gave us so much for nothing. We can even see certain passages in Ephesians, um, actually in Galatians, where grace is not appreciated. In Galatians 2, 21, 
uh, the Apostle Paul says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. See, grace can be set aside. Paul says, I don't set it aside. In, in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 4, Paul says to the Galatians, you have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. So grace can be fallen from. Hebrews talks about grace being despised, rejected. So grace may not be appreciated. Isn't that so often true with something that we receive absolutely free? Now, as parents of four children, and one time for a couple of years we had four teenagers in the house all at once. We survived that. We still have two. Okay? But so we're almost out of the woods. But it was always our policy that we would never just give a car to our children. Now, all four of them have cars, but that we would pay half. And our assumption is that if they are halfway invested in it, they would take really good care of it. But if we gave it to them absolutely free, they might not appreciate it and could abuse it. And that's always the risk that you take when you give something absolutely free. We didn't want to take that risk. But God takes that risk every day when he saves somebody absolutely free. He takes the risk that they'll say, well, this is this is a free gift, so I can just do whatever I want now with my life. I can live however I want. And those objections, we're going to talk about this afternoon, but those are the objections that we see in Romans chapter 6. What can we, if we're saved by grace, we're not under the law, can we sin? Do whatever I want? We'll see what Paul's answer to that is and why when we look at Romans chapter 6. But this is a very serious issue when we don't appreciate God's grace because when we don't appreciate God's grace, then we're siding with those and those things which required Christ's death. When we don't appreciate grace, we live in ungratefulness, we live in sin, and that sides with the very reason that Jesus had to die. The grace may not be appreciated. And then grace may not be appreciated when it is represented to others as well. You find sometimes that we don't mind taking something as a free gift, but we're often reluctant to give it to someone else. I see, remember seeing a cartoon one time, and it was uh, a Frank and Ernest cartoon, I think, and, and uh, the angel standing at the gates of heaven, uh, or someone's going up and talking to St. Pete, that's who it is, and he says, uh, St. Peter, there's people outside scalping tickets to heaven. In other words, we get it free, but they're scalping the tickets to other people. They're charging them for it. I remember when I was a young boy, uh, I've always been an outdoor person. We had this large park and woods across the street from my house. I grew up in the suburbs, and uh, we just lived out in that woods. Uh, but we found a nice little setting there with some logs and so forth, and we decided to establish a nature club because we were all nature boys. So the nature club was me and my brother and uh, my good friend across the street named Larry. And we made ourselves honorary members, founding members, charter members of our nature club. And then Jerry came along. But Jerry was the bad seed in the neighborhood. He's the reason I have scars on my head. He's the <laughs> He was bad news all around. Nobody much like Jerry. But he kind of pushed himself on us. But he wanted to be a member of our nature club. 
Oh, well, no, Jerry, they, they, you can't be a member of our nature club. You have to pass a test, we said. So we began to make up questions that things about things that we knew about, like what's the largest mammal in the world? You know, you know what that is, right? The blue whale, right? And then what kind of leaf is it that has uh, a thumb this way and a thumb that way? And then, and then also a three-fingered pattern. You know what that is, right? That's a sassafras leaf. Yeah. And then we, then we say, what is one mammal that lays eggs? Platypus. There you go. You're almost a member of the club. Study up. You might let you in. <laughs> Very good, Dean. Point is, is that we didn't want to give it to him as a free gift. He had to earn it. You know, and so Christianity becomes an exclusive club where we're, we're happy to receive salvation for free, but that person's a little too bad. We want to make him pay something to get in. Maybe he'll appreciate it more if he pays something to get in, is what our thinking is. That's not a biblical mindset at all. It just shows us that man doesn't understand grace and he often doesn't appreciate grace. Grace is just too good to be true. It's too good to be true. We want to fix it, make it more appealing or to our human nature, our human side, or to our pride. But grace doesn't need fixing. And God's salvation doesn't need fixing. There was a plumber. He's from Texas, of course. He goes up and he sees Niagara Falls and he's standing there looking at it. And he says, I think I can fix that. <laughs> Well, some things don't need to be fixed. Just as God intended, grace is absolutely a free gift that pardons us from all of our sin, that guarantees us in eternity with God. It does not put us on probation, but gives us full unconditional acceptance with God. You ever see this ad in a magazine? An ad for margarine. 40% sin, 60% forgiveness. It's got some fat in it, but not that much. Well, the gospel's not that way. The gospel's not 40% sin, 60% forgiveness. It's 100% forgiveness. God has forgiven us all of our sins, past, present, and future. He did not put us on probation. He does not make a, a deal with us. He does not extract a promise from us. He doesn't weigh our good works, our worthiness. He doesn't look at our New Year's resolutions. He doesn't look at our church attendance record. He doesn't look to see how many times we've prayed, how often we've prayed, or how many people we've witnessed to. He gives us 100% pardon and forgiveness for absolutely nothing. We just accept it by faith. It's kind of like an airline ticket. Didn't have an airline ticket because everything's ticketless these days. So here's the boarding pass. And what that boarding pass or ticket means is that I have paid for this flight and this ticket shows that it is paid for and I can get on the plane and the plane promises to get me to where I'm going. The plane is not going to mid-flight stop and ask me about my life and if I really deserve to be on this flight. Or if I'm a pretty good guy. Once the ticket is paid for, the flight is guaranteed. When it comes to our salvation, God has paid that price in our salvation. And once he has paid that price, there's nothing else that you or I can do or add to that without insulting God. 
Because if we try to earn our salvation with what we do or by our performance or by bargaining, then what we're saying to God is, God, your son, Jesus Christ, wasn't enough for me. And that's why he says, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Because then we'd be able to say, well, God, you did most of the deal. That's pretty good. But you know what? I did the last little bit. God won't allow that at all. It's grace from beginning to end. Amazing grace that takes us as undeserving, unworthy sinners and guarantees a future with God. And that, my friends, should be a strong motivation for us to worship God and to serve him with our lives. I think we're going to take a break, but let me just thank the Lord for his grace. Our Father, we do thank you for these, this amazing grace that, in which we get everything for nothing. Thank you that is accessible to us through Jesus Christ and faith in him. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources, or to help spread the message of God's life-changing grace, visit our website at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace at gracelife.org. See you next time.